Hallelujah. I just love that around Christmas time we're singing a song about what His name shall be forever. Amen. That at a church named Eternity, at Christmas time, we're singing about how we're going to sing His praises forever. Amen. I was thinking about, um, just last night, uh, I heard from a lot of people that a lot of families in our church are sick, a lot of people in our community are sick, and, um, and I feel like the devil wants to hijack your Christmas, and, uh, and I want to pray for healing in the name of Jesus. And, and so, so if you're sick, uh, in a moment I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand, and, and you might be like, wait, admit to everyone I came to church sick, hey look, I got a theory, if you're sick, come to church, because lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed. Uh, it doesn't say if you're sick, stay home. Uh, by yourself, be isolated, you know what I mean? Now look, you got Ebola, look, hey, stay home, bro. Stay home, all right? Um, we'll send a, Rob will come and lay hands on you, all right? He will, he loves that stuff, right? He's a, he's a medic, so it's all good. Um, but seriously, I, I, I used to joke, and maybe I'll, I'll do it again, uh, that, uh, that if you've got a headache in the morning, um, you should not stay home. You should come to church. And, our worship is quite loud at eternity. And so there's only two options if you've got a headache and you come to church. You will go home and it will be worse or it will be healed. But you won't leave the same. Come on now, right? <laughs> so anyway, but I want to pray for you today because I still believe that God's a healer. All right. And uh, he's Jehovah Rapha. And there's actually a story in the Word of God where um, someone's loved one couldn't get there and so um, they actually prayed over a hanky chief, um, or hanky as I call it, and um, I'm one of the, I'm, weird, I'm old, I guess. I still carry a handkerchief sometimes. Um, mainly, well, no, we won't get into why, I just do. And, um, <clears throat> and in the story, they, they prayed over the handkerchief and then they took that, laid it on somebody else. Now say that to say this, that, uh, that if you're sick, the very best thing that you can do is get in church and have someone lay hands on you. The second best thing you can do is get prayer, have someone else get prayer, and then come and pray for you. And uh, so if you're sick, or if someone related to you is sick, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand, and we're going to pray for you. And, and the cool thing about that second part is it gives you that out that, no, no, it's not me, it's my friend, you know what I mean? Um, but we're going to give you an opportunity to lift up your hand, and, and then I want everyone around you to, to put their hand on your shoulder as I pray, okay? Lay hands on the sick. So if you're sick or someone in your family's sick, would you lift up your hands right now? With those around them, just put your hand on their shoulder and let's pray for them and believe for healing in their lives and in the lives of their loved ones, friends and family. Come on. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is true now, forever, and it always has been. That you were there in the beginning, you were there in the middle, you're there now and you'll be there in the end. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And nothing about your word isn't true anymore. It's all true, Lord God. Even in the Old Testament, God, it's never not true. It's just been fulfilled. It's happened, Lord God. But the Word is true. You are Jehovah Rapha. You still care when we're sick. You still bring life. You still bring hope. You still bring joy. It's the devil that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's the author of sickness. He's the author of disease. So we rebuke him in Jesus' name. We rebuke these sicknesses in Jesus' name. And we pray for our brothers and sisters that are sick. We pray, be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed in the name of Jesus. And God, we pray 
for a healing anointing to touch everyone here. Lord God, that they could go and lay hands on their loved ones who are sick. They could go and lay hands on their children who are sick and we would see great healing in preparation for a great Christmas celebration. In the name of Jesus, all those with faith, could you yell out a great big amen? <clears throat> Hallelujah. Amen. I still believe. My God hasn't changed. Amen. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He's still a healer. Today we're going to read from 1 Kings chapter 19. If you want to whip out your Bibles or your phones, wherever it is that you carry your Bible. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, we're going to assume that you brought a Bible on your phone to church today because you wouldn't want to come without one, right? Um, if you don't have a physical Bible, you should get one uh, um, and, uh, and our team will give you one, okay? So after the service, find one of the People, one of the fluorescent yellow people, and they will get you a Bible today to go home with. Am I right, Pastor Laura? Yes, I am right. So they'll get you a Bible to go home with today. We love you. We want to bless you. We know the Bible will change your life. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. While you're finding that, I just want to say welcome to anybody who's new to Eternity Church today. Um, we've got a gift for all our new people as well. As soon as you go out the doors down there, out by the, out by the exits, there's a, uh, there, there's a connection lounge. There's a sign that says so. Uh, if you run out there and uh, just connect with them, they want to give you a free T-shirt just to say thanks for coming to church today. Um, we've been in a sermon series uh, called Walking Through Genesis. Anyone having a good time walking through Genesis? <clears throat> um, there's a lot in there and uh, we've been in it for a few months now. Uh, but today we're going off topic because I had lunch with a friend this week and we got talking about favour, uh, about blessing and how sometimes even blessing can, can come with a little bit of stress or burden, uh, but also um, how the devil would like nothing more in this season for the good things in your life to feel like a burden. So the title of my message today is The Burden of Blessing. And uh, so we're going from 1 Kings chapter 19. Y'all got it? All right, let's go. Um, <clears throat> Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets uh, with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not take your life as the life of one of them um, by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, uh, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came down and sat under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, Is it enough now, O Lord, take away my life? That is a, uh, an intense scripture, and we're going to talk more about it in a moment. But first, I want to pray. So if you want to hear from God today, would you lift up your hands? We're going to get after it. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's true yesterday, today, and forever, that it's useful yesterday, today, and forever, uh, that its truths are timeless, that, that it's not progressive, it's not conservative, it's not changing, Lord God. It's just as it is, and it's perpetually relevant, Lord God. It, it's not slow, it's not fast, it is what it is, and it is life-changing, it is powerful, it is like a double-edged sword that can get down to the innermost thoughts in our hearts, Lord God. It can right the wrongs in our lives, it can wash 
over a weary soul, Lord God. So today I pray that as I preach your word from the word, that you would uh, give me strength, Lord God. You would give me, uh, you would give me uh, uh, the right words to say, Lord, and uh, that your people's lives would be touched and transformed uh, by this moment that we've set aside for you. And again, Lord, I thank you for the privilege it is to stand uh, on your stage in your house in front of your church and preach your word. God, be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, someone say amen. 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 All right, come on, you may take your seats. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So uh, in the scripture that I read earlier, we have, um, we have the amazing, the powerful, uh, the, the, the revered and the world-renowned prophet of God, Elijah, running away uh, in fear of a woman who had threatened to kill him. Um, and uh, and so, so it, it's a unique story. Oh, by the way, I do need to say, like, since like, it seems like half the church is sick this weekend, I'm going to need you to help me preach, all right, uh, or at Christmases. So you're going to have to yell at the preacher a little bit this weekend, all right? Just keep me awake, keep me going, all right? You with me? All right, so if it's good, say amen, right? But, um, but anyway, um, we find Elijah in a place uh, where he literally is asking God to kill him. Um, they say Elijah was suicidal, I agree with that. Um, if you're asking someone to kill you, specifically someone who has all authority and all power on earth, uh, if you're asking that person to kill you, um, you're suicidal. Uh, Elijah finds himself in the suicidal moment of his life. And, for those who don't know who Elijah is, uh, or for those of you who might be new to the faith, as I'm aware that so many people in our church are new Christians in the last uh, few weeks, uh, few months, or, or a couple of years, um, I want to take a moment now to sort of set that story up and talk about what preceded this moment, who Elijah is, uh, and what he had done in his life so that you can maybe understand where we are. So Elijah is known as the boldest prophet, all right? Um, not just by me. Um, I don't just call him the boldest prophet ever. Uh, he's known as the boldest prophet uh, throughout church history, uh, throughout even uh, rabbinical um, uh, teaching uh, in the Hebrews, in the New Testament. Uh, everybody was aware of Elijah and what he did. He's the boldest prophet we ever had. Um, Elijah stood up boldly uh, for God in a time and a season when idolatry had become the way of the land. Uh, what's idolatry? Idolatry is when you put someone, something, or some idea in a place above God, okay? So let's say uh, you, you, you believe in God um, but, um, or, or not, um, but that you've put all your hope and all your faith and all your trust into money. Well, money has become your God and now you're in idolatry, yeah, right? Um, Maybe in America, a, a more fitting example of idolatry might be that you've put all your trust, all your hope, and, 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 and all your joy is dependent on who is or is not the president and perhaps the Republican Party or Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis has become your, your God and your hope and so you're in idolatry, okay? You've put them above God and, and on the other side, perhaps uh, you've put the Democratic Party, you've put uh, Joe Biden or, 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 or Kamala Harris or someone like that or Gavin Newsom uh, in a place above God and you've put your hope in them and you're in idolatry, you understand, right? And so the people of Elijah's day were in idolatry but they weren't in, an, in like a political idolatry. They were in um, a, a, an idolatry with a false god named Baal. Yeah. All right, someone say Baal. Yeah. All right, just making sure you're still with us, all right? Uh, it's like a Baal Ahai, all right? 
And, um, and so they were worshipping uh, Baal. Now, Elijah's name actually means, my God is Yahweh. Isn't that interesting, right? And so, so whenever Elijah interacted with these people in idolatry and they said his name, they actually had to say something confronting to themselves, right? So those who worshipped Baal uh, had to actually say, my God is Yahweh, when they're interacting with Elijah. And <clears throat> so he was a very bold guy, bold by name and bold by reputation. Elijah is the prophet who stood before the king and pronounced a curse upon the land of Israel um, because they had given themselves over to this idolatry. And Elijah stands before the king and he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel. What I love about that, by the way, is while they weren't worshiping God, he says, the God of Israel, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain in these years except by my word. And from that moment that Elijah pronounced the drought upon the land, uh, there was no rain for three and a half years, right? Now, some of you might be like, what's so bold about that, standing before uh, a ruler? And, and, and because it's very easy for us to read a Western understanding into these scriptures, right? And to look at this and be like, well, all right, all right, all right. Well, it'd be like somebody standing before President Trump or President Biden, uh, President Bush or President uh, Clinton, and, uh, and and just you know telling them that hey, America's lost their way, and you know, but you know, but it's not really like that because I can criticize the president of the United States and I can criticize the policies of the United States with, without living in too much fear uh, for my for my life, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Now. I wouldn't want to push my luck with Hillary. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, all right? I'm kidding. Epstein totally killed himself. And uh, no, 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 I'm kidding, all right? Relax, relax. Uh, but it wasn't like this, all right? It wasn't like this where, where I can criticize Biden and he ain't going to kill me. I can criticize Trump, and he ain't gonna kill me, right? Like, like, I, I, like I've got that freedom here. I, I have a constitutionally protected right to criticize the government, the officials, or the policies of the land. But Elijah did not. Elijah could have been killed for criticizing the policies of the land, and you know he, he didn't have that constitutionally protected right. Yet he was bold enough to stand up right in front of the king and not only call out his ways, but pronounce a devastating curse upon the land. And then after that, God says, now Elijah, go stand by the brook and I'll look after you. And then so Elijah basically walks up and says, King Ahab, you suck very badly. Um, it's going to rain for, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. A bunch of you will starve and die. Peace out. I'm going camping and ravens are going to feed me. And that's what happened, right? And, and, and he went and he camped out by the brook and Chick-fil-A was coming from heaven, right? Like Christian chicken. It was amazing, right? Incredible moment. And, and, and all these days, like, and so we have, a, we, sorry, we have a prophet like that to look up to, right? This bold prophet, this man who was not afraid at risk of death to stand up and say, this is wrong. Don't do that. 
But these days, not just our kids, but half the adults in our lives are afraid to even, to even admit online that we still believe the Bible to be true and accurate. Half of us are afraid of being mocked on, not half of you, half of the world, are afraid of being mocked on Instagram for standing up for common sense, common decency, or for truth, or, or for God and God's ways in the world. And oh, how I would love to see the next generation be as bold as Elijah. In fact, I actually believe that the next generation will be bolder than our generation. Why? Because I don't think, and again, I'm not talking about you, and, and I'm not... Uh, but I am talking about me and my past and, and, and many preachers of my age. Uh, I believe that it's going to be easy for the next generation to be bolder than us because we weren't bold. Because we, 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 we were extra, but we weren't bold. The next generation will fill the gaps that our generation left. They'll speak to things that my generation was afraid to speak to. They'll fear God in areas of their lives where we were in fear of people. They'll love the God of the blessing more than they love the blessing of God. And that's not to say they won't be blessed by God. They'll just love the giver more than the gift. They'll love the God of the blessing more than the blessing of our God. And with all that will come so much freedom, so much peace, so much joy as they seek God and stand up for what's right over what's popular, what's good over what's pleasurable. And, and I really believe that because over the last couple of years, I've seen many churches uh, that were weak go woke, but I've seen many churches that were weak stand up and strengthen up in the name of Jesus. And all you hear about is, oh, this church went woke, and oh, Amy Grant, and oh, all these people went woke. Look, yeah, call it out. But there's a lot of churches over the last couple of years that have stood up and said, that ain't right. We made a mistake. We were quiet. We should have been loud. We should have been bold. We sat down. We should have stood up, right? And because of that, there's a generation growing up now, finally, in some bold churches that are going to go to college with a little bit of boldness and strength in their hearts, and they'll be able to stand tall and stand strong, and they'll fill some gaps that our generation left open, amen? I believe that over our young people in our church. I believe that over the young people that Pastor Connor and Ian and the team are leading in the wild youth. And I believe that over the, the kids that Pastor Levi and Cass are leading in our kids' church here at Eternity Church, amen? That they'll be bold as Elijah. <laughs> Elijah was the bold prophet of Yahweh. <clears throat> and he hears the word of God after a, 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 a while of hanging out, eating Chick-fil-A. He hears the word of God and God says, hey, uh, go and face King Ahab again. And when they meet, um, Ahab mocks him. He's like, oh, the troubler of Israel. And, you know, just starts mocking the man of God. And, and then at that moment, uh, Elijah sets up a challenge. All right, Elijah's like, yo, Ahab, me against your 850 false prophets. Me against the 450 prophets of Baal and the other 400 uh, false prophets that eat at their table. Me and them. And King Ahab's like, giddy up. Ain't no way you can beat them all. And what we see is um, Elijah sets up this challenge where we're going to have a burnt offering and you don't get to light the offering. You've got to ask your God to send fire down and light the offering for you. I will call upon Yahweh. You will call upon Baal. And, uh, and so they set, the prophets of Baal, they set up a bull offering. <clears throat> they kill a bull on that. And they call upon Baal to, to set it on fire. And they, you know, they're like, oh, Baal, oh, Baal, all this stuff. And, but nothing happens at all. No fire. 
right? There's no fire. What happens then after a while? They're like, well, maybe we need to get Baal's attention. So they start cutting themselves, trying to get their God's attention. So they're cutting themselves and they're trying to bleed out on the offering. And they're like, God, look at us. Baal, look at us. And, and so they're doing all that and still nothing happens as they cut themselves trying to get his attention. And I, I find it fascinating that they cut themselves trying to get Baal's attention. And our God cut himself to get your attention. It's fascinating, isn't it, that, they, that they're trying to bleed themselves out to try and get the attention of a false god, but our God, hello, our God was willing to bleed himself out on a cross to get your attention, amen? That in the false prophet and the, and the God of the world, you've got to cut yourself and mutilate yourself and disfigure yourself uh, to, to try and win favor with the, the world and win favor with this new world religion. But, 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 but the God of the Word of God, the God of the Bible, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our God. God was willing to mutilate himself, get cut, bleed out. In fact, disfigure himself so badly that he was, as, word, as the Word of God says, unrecognizable as a man to show you that you don't have to do that. He loves you. He's got you. He's got a plan for your life. Can I get an amen? Still, they, they cut themselves, they bleed out, but nothing happens because Baal ain't there, right? Uh, nothing happens at all. And then Elijah starts mocking them. And uh, I find Elijah's hilarious. You know, I, I do find it funny when like I get abused online and then, and I used to just leave it. Now, I don't know I, whether, maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, but I punch back now. And, um, and so some people are like, you should shut up and be kinder. And I'm like, well, I'm not mean. I'd just be like, well, here's why that's dumb. Um, and, and so, but you know, like whatever. And uh, people want me to be, and I'm like, I'm gonna just be like Elijah, all right? Like, you know, I, and I actually think that we need to get back to mocking bad ideas. Now we don't wanna mock people. You hear what I'm saying? Like, like, I'm not the guy who's going to mock Biden for falling down steps. I think that's uh, disrespectful, and I, I want to have a bit more respect for the office of the president. Um, but I will mock the bad policies, and I will mock the bad ideas. And, and I, uh, just, you hear what I'm saying, right? And so, so, my, uh, so Elijah, he starts mocking the bad ideas, starts mocking what they're doing. And what I, what I find fascinating is this moment where, it, this is in the Bible, I'm not reading into it. Elijah's like, well, maybe your God's busy, and he can't hear. Maybe he's in the restroom. Maybe your God is having a wee-wee. That's what Elijah says to the 850 false prophets of Baal, right? And I find that absolutely fascinating. And so to the world, I say, maybe your God's having a wee-wee. Maybe he's not listening, right? And so maybe your God's on the dunny or the toilet, so to speak. After a while, though, Elijah's like, all right, y'all, that ain't working. It's my time now. Um, what's going on with you and what's going on with, you know, your, your God? He's not there. He's not listening. He's on the toilet. It's my turn. So Elijah rebuilds the altar. Now, I love that he rebuilds the altar because this is before the cross, before the, before the, the, the ungodly things can be redeemed. And so what he does is he tears down the ungodly monument and he rebuilds up a new altar for the Lord. He stacks it with wood. He cuts and sacrifices a fresh bull upon it. 
and then just as he's thinking, all right, should I call on God now? He's like, nah, you know what? I'm feeling cheeky. I've been messing with these prophets of Baal for a little while now. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to just, just get a little bit more cheeky. And he goes, all right, servant, um, douse the, the, uh, the altar, douse the sacrifice, douse the word um, with four jars of, of water. And so he comes along and he tips water on it and water, water, water. And then it's all wet. And he goes, you know what? Do it again. And after that, he's like, you know what? Do it again. Four more jars of water. And so the, the, the servants just tip four more jars of water on the sacrifice. It's thoroughly soaked all the way through. Like this guy's confident that God's coming through, isn't he? Right? Anyone else? Like He's like, all right, God, you got this. Because what I don't do is be like, you know, tell you that something's going to happen and then be like, now tip water on it. All right, now lock it in a box. All right, now put it in the ocean. Now open the fridge, it's in there. You know, like that's the kind of confidence that Elijah's got, right? He's kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? He's got that all or nothing kind of faith. Either God comes through or someone's gonna run me through kind of faith, right? And I, I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're like, um, all right, God's gonna save us, but we love him so much. And we believe in him so much that even if he didn't save us, we won't bow down to a false god. And, and Elijah's got that kind of faith where he's like, I, I, I love the Lord and I'm not in this for my glory. I'm not in this for me to look like the one who saved the world. I'm in this to represent who God is and serve him faithfully. So I'm not going to bow down, all right? He's got an all or nothing kind of faith. Now everything's soaked and Elijah calls on the name of the Lord and God sent fire from heaven that consumes the offering, consumes the word, consumes the altar, consumes the water, and it says it even consumed, fully consumed all the dust around the altar. Why? Because our God is a what? An all consuming fire, amen. And when God's involved, it's all or nothing. And, and God, the all consuming fire, calls down an all consuming fire from heaven and destroys the offering right there in front of Baal. And then the people, because the other cool thing about it is um, Elijah wasn't like, let's have a fight. He was like, let's have a fight in front of everyone. All right, And so they invited all the people to come and watch this kind of duel that was going on on the mountain. And so everybody's watching. He's like, I could fight you uh, in the corner or I could fight you on Twitter. All right. He's like, let's go public with this. All right. And uh, so anyway, so all the people see this all-consuming fire come down and then they start worshiping. They start falling on their faces, shouting, the Lord, He is God. The Lord he is God. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And on and on and on they go in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 39. The Lord, He is God. Amen. And, and then Elijah and the people just whip out some swords and stuff and they just slay all 850 false prophets. And, and that's a lot of them. So I, I, they were probably slaying all day. And... Uh, and so yeah, there's a lot of bloodshed. The story uh, was crazy. And then after all of that, Elijah goes, all right, now, everybody watch this. This is how good God is. Rain. And then it rains for the first time in three and a half years. Elijah's a cool dude, right? 
And all of that happened just before the scripture we read at the start. The scripture we read at the start, we wed at the start because, you know, I'm good at English. Um, where are we? That scripture was um, when then Jezebel, right? So Ahab told Jezebel, all right? That's where we picked up. So now Jezebel, King Ahab's wife, now she was a prophetess of Baal. And she was the ringleader, actually, of all these other prophets who were just uh, slayed. And so, so she was furious at the loss of her prophets. She was furious at the loss of her influence. She was furious, and she swore to kill Elijah. Uh, and so after all that, after all that victory, after all that slaying, uh, after seeing God's favor, God's protection, God's provision, and God's power uh, displayed in his life uh, repeatedly uh, for many, many years, now then we find Elijah suicidal, asking God to kill him. And I find it amazing how, amazing, but, but also like slightly terrifying how, um, how fast we as humans can go from seeing God move, seeing God pour out his favor, how fast we can go from seeing God's protection and even his greatest blessings in our lives. I find it fascinating how fast we can go from that to suddenly distracted, tired, and in the case of Elijah, suicidal. And it is a great reminder that though things may look fantastic on the outside, you don't know what's happening on the inside of a person. And you may think that, well, look how great their life is, but you don't know because everybody wants to be Elijah, right? Calling down fire from heaven, deciding when it will stop raining, when it will rain, slaying all day. Like, everybody wants to be that guy. It's also a great reminder that the devil never rests. The devil never rests. Oh, we for sure can rest, but we don't rest in the absence of an enemy. We rest in the Lord in spite of of an enemy. Amen. We rest in the Lord because we trust that while we rest, God's going to take care of the battle that wages around us. We don't rest in the absence of an enemy. We rest in spite of the, the enemy because we know that the devil's always looking for an opportunity to take what God has done in your life and cause it to frustrate you. Scripture tells us in Peter to be sober-minded be watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And uh, your enemy, the devil, he's a real enemy. The devil is real, all right? Hell is a real, let me, let me clear some things up in Christian theology, or, 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 or I guess some of it's unchristian theology. Uh, the devil is real and hell's a real place that you don't want to go, okay? And the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for opportunities to take something good from your life in an effort to get you to turn on God and give up on your faith. Or at the very least, in an effort to get you to want to end your life so that you're no longer a threat to him and his kingdom on this earth. And, and he wants to take the good things that God's done in your life and make them feel like burdens or frustrations in your life. I love the psalm. Um, you have turned my mourning into dancing and my sorrow into joy. Who knows? The, anyone sing that song growing up? You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have turned my sorrow into joy. Who knows the one, right? But, but here's the thing. But every time you sing it, you have to do it like this. You have turned my mourning. Come on. Who, who used to spin around as you sung the song? Give me a wave, right? Oh, don't lie to me. Half the room last night, and right now, y'all like, not me. Come on now. 
Who used to spin around when you sang the song, right? Now, honestly, if you started singing it now, who by reflex uncontrollably wouldn't have a say over it would just naturally spin around if you sang it again, right? Yeah, right? And uh, so we sang that all the time. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have turned my sorrow into joy. But I am convinced that as much as God desires to heal you, and as much as God desires to turn your mourning into dancing, the devil is striving to turn your dancing back into mourning and your sorrow, sorry, and your, your, your joy back into sorrow. Romans 8 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. So we know that in everything, God's making all things work together in a way that will bless those who live their lives, in lo- who love Him, right? What does Scripture say? If you love me, you'll obey me. All right, so those of us who have a heart's desire to obey God, all things will work together for our benefit. But, but listen to me, I am convinced that while God works all things together for our benefit, the devil's desire is to make all things work together for your harm. Man, Pastor Jesse, ain't you got no good news today? I've been practicing my Iowa accent. I think I just about nailed it this time. Anybody else, right? Like that's about the best I've done. Man, Pastor Jesse, where's the good news? No, 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 look, 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 look. You need to know that it's easy for us to forget the good things that have happened in our lives, and it's easy for us to forget the good things that are in our lives. It's so easy to become distracted, ungrateful, and even begin to wish that some of those things were no longer in our lives. What do I mean? Well, look, it's the holiday season right now, and rather than being grateful that you've got some time off to spend with family, the devil would love nothing more than for you to see the blessing of family as the biggest burden of the season. That the devil would love for you to wish that you didn't have to see them again. The devil would love for you to look at your kids or your parents or your relatives as, as folks that you just, ah, oh, why do I have to deal with this again? I like that sort of season from January through to October, but then this Thanksgiving and this Christmas and all of this, it's frustrating. <clears throat> the devil would love for you to look at the gift that you give your kids and and the gifts that you buy your parents as a frustrating waste of money. Why do I have to do this? Why every year I gotta spend 50 bucks on every kid again? Why do I have to do it? And my wife knows that I love her. I stood at the altar and I said, yes, I love you and nothing's changed. Why do I have to buy her another $50 gift again? Meanwhile, some other people in the room would give almost anything to spend one more Christmas with dad. Meanwhile, someone else in the room would give an entire year off the end of their lives to have the opportunity to buy one more gift for their wife. But they can't because they won't see her this side of heaven again. Don't let the devil steal this from you. Don't let the devil steal another Christmas from you. Let's not surrender another Christmas to the devil. Amen. 
You know, I know some people have genuinely had abuse in their families, physical, um, sexual, emotional abuse in their families, and I'm not saying that you need to look at them and be like, giddy up, can't wait to hang out with them. No, don't come and hang out with mine or someone else's in church, right? Um, but, um, but, but in general, realistically speaking, let's not cater to the, to, 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 the, um, to the anomalies, but the truth is most family is a gift from God. Family's a gift from God, and, and I don't even put in the anomalies, the drug-addicted brother or whatever else. They're still a gift from God, and, 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 and as we see in Scripture where, you know, or, or, or the crazy uncle, you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're all a gift from God, and we see in Scripture where, where the first time that we see family, God placed family there to help each other. Um, I will make uh, for Adam a helper, and then he, she went and helped him with the work that God had given him to do, and the very first interaction uh, of family is helping each other. And, and I think we need to remember that in this season, that if you have family, you're blessed and you should, you should want to get together with them if for no other reason but to help them have a little bit of joy again this Christmas. And you can leave your debates about politics at the door if you want. You can take them in if you want. Um, but you've got to remember that, that, that the most important thing that you can do this season is to help your family. It's to love your family. Can I get an Amen. It's not just like that, too. There's many ways that the devil wants to turn a blessing into a curse and make you um, get distracted and forget the good thing that's happened in your life. Uh, for us, one of those um, um, a more recent, uh, current example is um, after many years, we're finally renovating a house. We bought our house um, about six years ago, um, and it's a great house. We really like it. We'll be there for another 25 years at least, and, um, and, uh, and may maybe 50 years, and the kids can fight over it when I'm dead. Um, but we love our house. It's a great place. We're renovating it now. Um, we were going to renovate it a while back. We gave away a bunch of money so we couldn't afford it, but now we can again. God's been good and um, give and he will give back, pressed down, shaken together, running over, pouring into your lap. Can I get an amen? And, and so that's been our story and we thank God that we can do that now. And but here's the thing, um, I am not tough enough to live in a house that's being renovated. I know some of you are, I'm not. Um, I don't want to murder any of my children. And so we decided that it would be best if we don't live in a house that's being demol demolished and rebuilt. And so, um, so anyway, so we, um, so we were sort of trying to figure out where we're we gonna live. We couldn't figure it out. It's very expensive to rent a house. You know that, right? Like I, I, you, many of you do know that. And, and so, but to rent a house while still paying for your house is, is really like doubly expensive and we couldn't necessarily afford that uh, or find room in the budget for that. And, and so, um, so some friends of ours, when it was getting close to us needing to decide when and how and what we were doing, some friends of ours came and said, you know what, we will give you our house for, uh, for five months or however long you need it. And so these wonderfully kind people that, that attend our church had a house out on a farm with, I don't know whether it's like, seven or 20 acres, you know, um, out there. And, um, and so, so this house is, you know, the land's amazing. There's a lake and, and there, there, there's room to ride the motorbikes around. And, and I'm excited for when the lake's frozen so I can do donuts with the motorbike on the lake. And it's just going to be awesome, right? And um, you may never see me again, but, I'll, but I will have gone out having fun. And uh, but, um, but it's really awesome. But here's the thing about the house. We've been there three weeks now, and our house is uh, pretty demolished. Ain't no chance of moving back into that now till it's rebuilt. And out there, we move in, and day one, the heating stopped working. 
out on a farm. And we're like, you kidding? All right, what else? Now, this place has a boiler that heats the, 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 that heats the, the hot water, and, and the boiler also heats um, the radiators around the house. Anyone ever seen one of those sort of heating systems, right? I like it, kind of constant heat. They're good. Uh, anyway, so the heating stopped working, but the hot water was working. That's fantastic. So they came out, and they fixed the heating on day one. Uh, and then we all had showers uh, that night, and, and, then, and then that was cool too. We're like, wow, with the heating and hot water, whatever. Next morning, the hot water didn't work. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. And so they came out, and, they, and, and then they, like a day later, and they fixed the hot water. And we're like, awesome. And, and then the heating stopped working. And we're like, oh, okay, that's interesting, isn't it? That, you know, we can have this, but we can't have that. And anyway, and so then they come out and they're like, and, and they're like, then they come out and they fix the heating uh, um, and then the hot water stops working. But we didn't know that until Friday. And then they couldn't come back out until I think Monday or Tuesday to fix that. And we're like, well, I'll shower at the gym. You shower at, uh, at Bill and Bob's house, all right? So we figured out how to get some showers. Our kids are having cold showers at night. One of our kids is awesome, um, but just needs a shower at night just to, to go back to sleep. You know, just, just part of his routine that he needs to, to go to sleep and, and, um, and otherwise just struggles to sleep. And we were like, uh-oh, this is going to suck if you can't have a hot shower. But dude was an absolute champ, toughened up and just had cold showers every night for three days in a row. And we were like, this is amazing. We thought maybe he would murder one of us in our sleep, locked our doors just in case. But every Everything was fine, right? And we're like, this is incredible, right? So the family was handling it well. We get to, to Monday and they come out and they fix the hot water and we're like, amazing. And then the heating stopped working. <laughs> so after three weeks and the heating, the heating didn't work, we we're like, you know what? We like hot water. We're kind of a hot water family. The heating we can solve with some portable situations. So I went and bought, you know, those um, oil radiators, you know, that you buy, you plug them in. They use a ton of electricity, apparently. Um, you plug them in, they keep the place warm. Well, I bought seven of those. House is still warm. There's hot water. It's fantastic. And we're like, all right. Now, in the midst of all that, at the same time, we have this other just kind of frustrating little problem that we got some professionals coming out to help take care of soon. Um, but what's also going on, you see the house was empty for a while. And so there's some little other like friends that we're living in the house with. Um, and they're, they're gray. They're about this big. Little mice, you know, anyone, any, you know. So we got these little mice in the house too. So that's been really fun. I hate mice. I think they're disgusting. Anyone here have pet, pet mouse? Give me a wave. No, nobody. Oh, there is some people with pet mice. My sister had a pet, a few pet mice growing up. I fed one to the dog. She didn't like it. Look, I'm not a sociopath or anything like that, but I did think it was funny. I was wrong. Apparently it wasn't funny, all right? But I'm telling you, I'd love nothing more right now than to feed some mice to some dogs. And so, so we got all these mice. And one day, one night, um, the, it, it just stank real bad in our room. I'm like, what? This is disgusting. There's a dead mouse up in here somewhere. It's gross. I can't handle this. It's awful. It's bad. I'm like, Lauren's like, I'm half asleep. I'm like, I ain't sleeping here. So I went down and slept down. We've had fights in our marriage, and that has never managed to get us out of bed with each other, right? But the dead mouse got me out. I was like, you, you breathe this in all night long. You can wake up with the hantavirus. Me, 
I'm sleeping on the couch. So I go sleep on the couch. I come back in the, up in the morning. It's like 58 degrees. The radiators stopped working overnight, and it didn't stink in the room anymore. And I was like, oh, I know where the mouse is. He's in a radiator. Look around. Oh, there's a cooking little mouse under a hot water radiator. It's been fun. One morning, a few, a few days ago, we woke up and, um, um, and uh, there was, uh, you know, we, we've always had this little sort of, uh, I don't know, you call it a rummikin or something, like, like a glass rummikin uh, with a plastic kind of plastic, soft plastic lid on it. Um, and we keep our butter in there, or as you would say, your butter. Yeah. All right, we keep our butter in there. And, uh, and, and, and in there, one, one morning we get up and there's, there's no, the, the lid's a little up and there's no butter in there. Just a few little licky, licky marks on the, on the edge of the bowl. I didn't know. Mice love butter. They're all about the butter. The peanut butter is fine. Didn't touch it. The butter butter, gone. This little mouse got his little nose up, pushing the lid up. <clears throat> got up in the bowl, licked up all our butter and left a couple of little deposits in the middle of the bowl just to make sure we knew I've been there today. It's a lot. We're going to get all those little mice murdered this week. We got a guy coming out. (laughs) The devil wants us. I'm being serious now, though. Well, it was all true, but the devil, that was just three weeks. The devil wants us to hate the farmhouse and to look past the fact that a person loved us so much that they gave us their property for five months, a property that's probably worth three quarters of a million dollars, and said, Pastor Jesse, Pastor Lauren, family, we love you. We want you to have this place so that your family can have a warm (laughs) place (laughs) for the winter where your house is being renovated. The devil wants us to hate it, get frustrated by it. The devil wants us to forget that somebody did that. The devil wants us to forget that God provided. You know what? That was probably worth between twelve and $15,000 or $16,000 worth of rent to have that place for that long. And they gave it to us for free. Come on now. The devil wants me to forget that. But I'm grateful. I'm thankful. I'm praying not just for my family now, but I'm praying that God bless their family and God bless this house and God would unbless every mouse family in that house in the name of Jesus. Devil, you ain't gonna be stealing my joy. The devil ain't gonna be stealing my gratefulness, amen. The devil's gonna have to burn it down with all our stuff inside and still I'll remember that somebody loved us enough to give us a house for free for five months. So with just about 20% of my notes left, I've got three points for you. Now you might wonder how I'll land the plane on time. Did last night, and I will again today. I'm a trained professional. (laughs) So, all right, so I've got three points for you that I see in Scripture that will help you keep your joy and keep on dancing despite the devil's best laid plan to get you mourning, amen? Because we don't want to let the devil roam around in our minds. We don't want to let the devil steal our gratefulness and turn our sorrow, uh, uh, sorry, and turn our, uh, our joy back into sorrow, amen? So, um, so I've got three points about what to do when good things and good times begin to suck. Now, I, um, I rang Doug yesterday 
and, uh, and Tammy. And uh, because I wanted to check on this word suck, uh, if it's okay to put it in a uh, sermon. And, um, and Doug told me, because he does a bit of speaking around the place, you know, public speaking, whatever else here and there. Um, and he told me that they tell you that whenever you're doing a public, uh, whenever you're speaking publicly, that if you can tell the joke in church, then you can tell it anywhere. And he was like, well, in my church... But he also assured me that uh, this was not even close to my worst and that people use it every day, whether, whether they like it or not, it is what it is. Um, and so if you have any complaints about the word suck being in an official part of an, a sermon, not just like, well, that sucks, but like actually in the notes, um, his email address is dougandtammy at diamond.com. And so, so that's where I'd like you to send your official complaints this week. So, um, But before I read my three points, I want to... I, I wanna, um, I want to give you a bit more context on the the passage I read from Peter earlier, the one about being sober-minded. He said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around uh, like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. And this next part's quite interesting. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And I thought that's an interesting thing to put in there. Like, hey, don't worry! Their lives suck too. It's like, that's an interesting sort of encouragement to give somebody. Anybody else think that's interesting, right? Because we know scripture says to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. It doesn't say rejoice when others mourn and mourn when others rejoice. Though that's what a lot of Christians do. Someone gets a promotion. I wish I had a promotion. Somebody gets given a free house for five months. Nobody gives me a free house for five months. What we're supposed to do is rejoice when others rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. But here for some reason, when I'm in a sad or a hard or a difficult situation, uh, Peter is like, don't worry, their lives suck as well. And I'm like, wait, what? Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, I thought that's an interesting thing. Now, has anyone ever been up late at night knowing you've got to get up at like, I don't know, 3.30 a.m. to catch a flight at 5 a.m., right? But you've got a Christmas party tonight, so you're going to be up till midnight with your friends and family, but you, and you know I'm only going to get three and a half hours sleep. And, and, and just thinking about that, you're dreading it, and you're like, my life's going to suck tomorrow. Everything's going to be, I'm going to, I may even get sick. I can't, and then you start feeling those feelings now. Anyone else? But then somebody else says, hey, I'll be on that flight too. They're like, I know, I got to get up at 3.30. And then something shifts inside you. It's not that you're glad. You're not like, ha, 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 sucks to be you. But what you're doing is all of a sudden something happened in you when you realized, well, well, if they can get up, I can get up. If they can stand this, I can stand this. If they can maintain a good attitude, I can maintain a good attitude. So what Peter's saying is, you're not alone. Other people have been where you where you are. Others will follow after you, um, um, and, and and they got through this, and you can get through this too, right? And so what he's doing is, it's in this moment when you're in the suck, he's saying that if you get your eyes off you and onto some other people, it's going to lift your spirits and help you get through that too. So my first point is pray for others in the suck. And that's my main point. And so, 
So pray for others in the suck. So pray for others who are in the suck and pray for others while you're in the suck because sometimes it just sucks. But in the midst of that, no, you're not alone. Other people are going through it too. But get your eyes off you and pray for somebody else. Can I get an amen? Um, even like you, you're not even Elijah went through moments that were terrible and that, that, that where the devil had stolen his joy. It, it happens to other people as well, and, 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 and it's gonna happen to you at different points. And, and this is one of the biggest ways I feel like the devil attacks me is to make it so that good things in my life feel like burdens in my life. And, and, and so it's good for me to remember they're a gift from God uh, and, and, and that other people go through this as well. Now, point two, which leads on from that is be thankful in the suck. All right. Practice something called intentional thankfulness. Not just, oh, I'm thankful, but, but the things in your life that God gave you that the devil's trying to twist and sort of morph into burdens in your life, uh, take a moment and start to thank God for it. Get on your knees, get on your, go, go for a drive, go for a, whatever it is that you do to get into that zone where it's you and God and start thanking God for those things in your life. When your kids feel like a burden, thank you, God, for my kids. And then start to prophesy over them and start to prophesy over the situation. These kids are a gift from God. Scripture tells me that the best gift He'll ever give me is these children. I know that they're a gift from God and I believe and I declare and and I prophesy that that, that the day is coming and maybe even has come that I will see them as the gift that they are from God. Amen. Speak life over them in the name of Jesus. Now, I know that sometimes good things come with burden anyway, and that's just natural. If you get a good thing in your life, there's going to be some stress involved, all right? Um, uh, my, uh, my son told me last night, he said, this sermon reminds me of this kind of Greek thing or whatever it was, Greek whatever he called it, story, uh, where, where there was a, a servant that played an instrument for the king and then the king uh, gave him a whole bunch of money and then the servant went away and he was so stressed about someone taking the money that he went back and he gave the money back to the king. And, and so sometimes what can happen is when God gives you good things, if you don't manage the stress properly, you start to look at the gift as a burden in your life. And, and, so, and that's when you've got to get back to thankfulness and start thanking God for the gift and ask Him to help you steward it properly. Amen. And, and so, so it'd be like um, when I start, when, when, when we started this church, you know, I, when we started this church um, <clears throat> in the... Um, in the, in the theater, we, we probably had, uh, you know, like maybe, I don't know, like 20% of however many is even in this poorly attended service this weekend. <laughs> and, uh, and we probably, we had like significantly less than this, like maybe, a, maybe 10%, 20% of this in that room. And can I tell you, there was a lot less stress then. And now the church is a lot bigger with a lot more stress. But thank God, he's helped me grow to be able to handle the stress. And so, so some, but, but sometimes what happens is, we look and, and we see the gift, but, but we, we don't see the gift. We just see the stress. Yeah. We see, instead of seeing the kids as a gift, we see the kids as a stressor. It'd be like this. and Maybe someone gives you a 5,000 square foot home one day, right? And it's got four bathrooms and you're like, that's a big house. It's a beautiful house. And, and at first you're like, this is amazing. 
But now who knows that that gift came with the, the extra burden of having to clean 5,000 square feet, right, man? <laughs> I was trying, and, uh, right? And, and so then what can happen after a while is if you start to, when you see the house, all you see is the cleaning and instead of the, the, the blessing, the devil's succeeded in turning the blessing into a burden. And which we need to get back to thankfulness. Can I get an amen? amen? And start thanking God for the good things he's given you in your life. The last point is listen for the whisper through the noise. Now, if we want to stay in line with the other points, it could be listen for the whisper in the suck. Um, but I, I, I feel like it just worked better this way. Listen for the whisper through the noise. Um, a little while, but just after this moment where Elijah's like, oh, kill me, God. It says uh, in verse 9 of chapter 19, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, where are you? What are you doing, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And, and actually, he was wrong there. That was hyperbole because um, he, he wasn't the only one left. And we read that a little bit earlier because there was like about 50 or more hidden in a cave somewhere. Only I am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And, um, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And so behold... The Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, and Elijah heard it. The Lord wanted to deliver Elijah a personal message when his burdens, sorry, when his blessings and his victory had begun to feel like burdens and frustrations. He wanted to deliver Elijah a personal message in the moment of his greatest fear and anxiety. And so often we think the answer to what we're going through is some dramatic miracle, some marvelous display, some great thundering, some great fire from heaven is the answer to the anxiety, the stresses that we're going through. But the display of his greatness might actually have been the gift that you already have. You might look at your kids and they're struggling or whatever else and you're like, what's the answer? And you want some great big miracle where God comes down and boom, your kids are now the most obedient kids on the planet. But the, the great miracle of God is the kids you already have. The great display of his goodness, the great display of his glory, the great display of his miraculous power might be the thing that you actually have allowed to become a burden in your life. But perhaps the strength to push through will come from the whisper that you've been running away from. I want to encourage you to get alone, get in prayer, take a moment to be still and let the voice of God whisper in your heart. And, this, and just, uh, just this morning after the service, in a couple of minutes, we're going to give you an opportunity to come down the front and let you just receive prayer. We're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would speak, 
that he would help turn your mourning into dancing, your sorrow into joy, that he would help you take your eyes off the burden and put it back on the blessing. Amen. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I came that you may have life and life abundantly. I do love, though, and this is interesting. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? And that's the story that Elijah had. The thief came to steal his joy, steal his hope, destroy his drive to keep serving God. But Jesus says, but I have come. Do you see the difference? The thief comes or is coming. I'm already there. And that's the story with Elijah too, isn't it? You know, The thief came. Sorry, the thief was, was there to steal. And get, but God had already displayed his power. I want to encourage you to remember all the good things that he has come and already given you. And be thankful for them. All the pain, that's the devil. All the blessing, that's your God. All good things are gifts from the Father of heavenly lights, Scripture says. But these stresses, these attacks in this holiday season, that's the devil coming to try and take what Jesus has already given. This is the time of year where we celebrate that he has come already. Amen. He has come to give you life and life to the full. Before we pray for people who have begun to see the gift as a burden. Some people could even start to see their, their faith like that. Oh, if only I didn't have these convictions, I'd be able to act like that, right? Thank God I have these convictions so I don't act like that. Would be a better way to look at that, amen? But I want to pray for people before we move on who are away from Christ. People who have never had a friendship with God, or people that have had a friendship with God but have walked away. I want to pray for you that God would come into your life, that he would transform your life, that he would help you to live the life that he designed for you. Being a Christian is not always easy, but it is always better. It's always better. His life, his plans, his purposes for you are better than your plans, your purposes, and the world's plans and purposes for your life. It's not always easy, but it is always better. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at My Eternity Church. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.